Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a sunny but empty day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Taylor, Director of Laser Wire Solutions, an expert manufacturer of laser wire strippers. Paul, hello. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for coming on the program. Um, Before we get on to our conversation on leadership, uh, I believe it's important that we address the ongoing COVID-19 situation. How has uh, the COVID-19 restrictions uh, affected your business? Well, it's been pretty profound. Um, The first thing is uh, we're an international business uh, and also that we manufacture and sell capital equipment. So for our customers, when things like this happen, uh, it's a time to reflect on what they're investing in. And so it's uh, the slowdown in orders was quite dramatic as soon as uh, the, the problem started to spill outside of China. Uh, in terms of us for business, uh, we have some long-term orders and then uh, some more short-term ones. So it's meant uh, for our business, we've had to furlough some of our staff just to kind of protect the business and, and their employment uh, over the short term. Right. Uh, but we are managing to um, to push through, so at least half of the staff are still coming in and uh, respecting uh, social distancing. But also for our suppliers, uh, it's a mixed bag. Uh, some have decided to completely uh, close for the time being. Some are running with a skeleton staff, and that uh, is changing on a day-by-day basis. So it's, it's certainly challenging. So the supply chain issues, um, has that becoming more and more dire as the weeks go on, or is it starting to reach out a normal level? I think we've sort of reached a level. I think those those companies that decided to, to try and weather the storm by closing down have done so. Um, most of our customers are, are still uh, trying to keep moving forwards, and they're, they're very um, grateful uh, that we are still uh, you know, doing our best to keep maintaining a service. Uh, but I'd say it's, uh, it's probably... As bad as it's going to be, that depends obviously how long it goes on for. Do you feel that this is going to have a long-term effect on the business? Um, I'd say the long-term effect is it's uh, it's made us take stock. Um, I think a shock to the system like this always uh, is an opportunity to reflect on what you're doing. Um, so the long-term effects I'm hoping are going to be positive. Uh, certainly, uh, the enforced uh, remote working uh, is an experiment which probably wouldn't have undertaken on our uh, own initiative. Uh, but actually, we're finding there are some uh, benefits for remote working in terms of focus, but also you know, using more modern technology now, uh, where we might have been slow to adopt that. Um, so I see, I see most of the benefits as being long-term, providing that the, the world economy can, can bounce back in the next sort of uh, 12 to 18 months. Let's move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this conversation off by asking a very simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Okay, simple question, uh, difficult one to answer. So uh, for me, a leader um, is somebody who's um, looking out for for an enterprise, for an organization, for an effort um, to to try and make sure that the whole uh, organization is doing the right thing. Um, So within an organization, Everyone has different roles to play, but I see the leader's role of trying to take um, the long view, um, trying to see everything as a whole, 
and to help people understand like the interconnectedness of of the uh, enterprise. Do you decide, uh, do you make an active decision as to what sort of leader you're going to be? Or is it innate? Is it just one's natural style of leadership? Well, I think uh, all the time uh, as a leader, you're trying to uh, bring best practice. You uh, try to keep informed uh, and reflect on what works and what doesn't. So I would say that you, it is a conscious, um, it's a conscious, conscious effort. But um, I think it's very difficult long term to divorce who you are from what you do. Um, you can you can uh, fake it for a while, but uh, it's very difficult over a day by day, month by month basis to sort of be someone who you're not. So I think although uh, you you do need to focus on uh, skills and improving your skills as a leader. Um, I, I think there is, uh, uh, it's, as I say, it's, it's difficult to, to uh, that your, your personality doesn't form a large part of, of the sort of leader that you are. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Well, I'm, uh, I'm from a science background, so uh, I tend to be quite analytical uh, in my approach. Um, and in terms of uh, my style, I'm very much a, a sort of a lead from the front sort of person, uh, sometimes to my detriment. Uh, sometimes as a leader, you need to um, not be in the middle of the, the battle. You need to sort of get some distance. And so sometimes uh, jumping in with two feet and leading from the front uh, isn't always the right approach, but that's certainly what comes most naturally to me uh, is I'm the sort of leader that um, doesn't like to ask anybody to do what they've not themselves done or prepared to do. Um, and so, yeah, very involved leader. I try to be uh, empathetic. Um, so I try to uh, listen to people and their concerns and try and uh, sort of bridge gaps between people. Um, yeah, I'd say that's, that's kind of the long and short of it. When bridging gaps between people, uh, that probably comes most handy when resolving conflict. Um, of course, we all know that humans aren't infallible. Uh, they do have disagreements uh, with each other and sometimes they fall short of the mark what's your technique uh, for overcoming conflict within the workplace my uh, basic technique is to uh, try and create a shared vision um, so it's to try and get everybody who's involved to see the big picture to see uh, the interconnectedness of the work it's very easy for somebody in a role um, for their head to go down and to be just looking their boundaries and sometimes it's only you've got two people who both have issues and both kind of feel it's the other guy's fault but when you sit them down and, and you kind of show step them through the whole process they start to see that um, by helping the other one they can help themselves um, so yeah it tends to be through um, through kind of a working working together uh, and stepping through the problem um, I mean, sometimes conflict uh, can come from uh, lack of clarity. I'd say that's probably, in my experience, the biggest cause of conflict. Uh, so when you give two slightly conflicting instructions to two different people, uh, not on purpose, of course, but uh, sometimes that happens, and then you set up a conflict situation where both are trying to do their best to do what's been asked, um, but there's a sort of a uh, an inconsistency in, in what they're trying to do. So again, it's, uh, it's 
getting people to challenge. Uh, so one of the things in our organization, we, we encourage people to challenge what they're being asked to make sure that they understand that they take ownership for um, the, the work that they're doing. And if they think they're being asked to do something that's not right, it's not the right way, the best way to challenge that um, because uh, it's, no one person really knows the best way to do things in an organization. So it's, it's working together as a team and uh, sharing, sharing that knowledge is, uh, is the way forward. Now, with sharing knowledge, uh, a lot of that comes through mentoring. Uh, do you provide any mentorship opportunities within your workplace? So we're a small business. Um, we uh, try and um, include mentoring as part of our sort of weekly and monthly routine. Uh, so we have a sort of performance development uh, process where uh, there's time for reflection uh, between a manager and an employee about how things are going. And it's a, it's a time um, when working then with the managers to sort of uh, share experience about what works and what doesn't in terms of getting the best out of, of their team. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's something which I think is easy to neglect in a business. Um, there's always something more pressing, something more uh, urgent on the uh, to-do list. Um, but um, I do find that the mentoring side is the most uh, valuable and worthwhile part of uh, a leader's role. Uh, and as I say, it's, it's one that's easily neglected. Um, but, yeah, we're trying to, uh, at all possible, to make that a big part of the uh, working week. Now, Paul, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store at Laser Wire Solutions? Next 12 months? Well, it's certainly going to be interesting uh, for everybody in the world. Um, we're tr- trying to rebuild uh, where we are, uh, rebuild it forward, uh, and sort of take the things that we've learned through this crisis and try and hang on to the good stuff. Uh, I think uh, it's human nature that once things are back to normal, um, I can imagine in, in 12 to 18 months, uh, this may seem like a distant nightmare. Uh, but we're going to try and hang on to the lessons that we've learned and uh, try and build a stronger and better organization from that. Well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program today, and I definitely hope that you can come back when things have quieted down out there a bit. Uh, Paul, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Paul Taylor, Director of Laser Wire Solutions. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you'll delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she could reach out to people that others can't. So 
I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from... Uh, for uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of... Uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding 
that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis... And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said, the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. 
Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a uh, big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after week. No, I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield. So I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose And then five you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the... Ground by, by half time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously, and if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that complement you. A lot of criticism that. Uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened mm. and I imagine I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new mm. prime minister large majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as i speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it i mean incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. 
Uh, that's and also I should add that is how uh, these all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either what? Um, oh well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, "I'm I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why." Not quite uh, <laughs> the um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that. Um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end... You've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, 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 it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us, it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> so, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? 
uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant and I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. <laughs> this has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.